This is Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Back in the saddle. Back in it, baby. Here we are. I've done a few episodes without you. Yeah, they sounded great. Or the, the actually the, the one that's been released at the point of us recording this that I've heard uh, sounded great. Uh, I was Thanks. I was bummed to not get to chat with Bill Bartholomew. I don't know him well. Uh, I profiled him um, as I was on my way out the door uh, from the magazine uh, I was working at for a few years here in Rhode Island. But um, yeah, he's a good dude, and it was a, a great conversation. And uh, I was so proud of you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I I, mi- I missed you. Uh, I feel like you're my lifeline. Uh, and so when I'm, I'm left to my own devices, I'm worried. I'm just fucking it up. But <laughs> no way. I mean, like the the stuff you were talking about was so solidly in your wheelhouse. I don't know what I would have really contributed to the conversation. That that's true. I mean, we we were talking a lot about kind of local music and stuff, and and I kind of let Bill kind of steer the ship in some ways because uh, I think that made him feel a little more comfortable mm-hmm. but it was fun and and bill and i have obviously had history so yeah. it was probably seemed easier so um but yeah definitely missed you uh but i'm glad to have you here and to be able to chat for a little bit yeah yeah um i got uh the grandmothers are here helping with the boys today um big night last night they both uh more or less slept through the night without their 2 a.m feeding one of them had been doing that for about a week, uh, and uh, and my other son is a little smaller, so he needed to make sure he was eating enough to make up for what he wouldn't be eating. There's a lot of like math you got to do, <laughs> um, but you know he's he's been he's been eating more and more aggressively. So I was able to, um, yeah, we were able to skip the two a.m. feeding, which doesn't mean you get to sleep more. It just means you are up less and like for for me i just had to sort of like wrap them back up when they popped an arm out and got a little too squirmy and they went right back down it was it was good i'm you know hoping i don't jinx it but uh if it, it's a good sign and hopefully that continues through the week and then uh yeah on to the next milestone i'll be looking for did you ever think that when we started this, that in some way it would be like this unofficial journal of this time in your life? Because we do kind of indirectly talk about a lot of what's happening to us outside of the podcast. And obviously there's been like this sort of a documentation. Like you could, if you went back, you could kind of see like, oh, we're going to have kids and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I um, certainly did not expect that. And, uh, you know, um not sure how much of this I had talked about previously, but um, my wife Sandra and I had tried for been trying for about six years before we got pregnant with the boys. So um, yeah, I think at the point that we started the podcast, um, my expectations were much more tempered, if not low, just based on our, our lack of success previously. So, um, but yeah, it is uh it has sort of come up, especially in the episodes earlier this year as we were getting closer and closer to the due date and sort of impending, you know, uh, urgency to get a handful of episodes under our belts. You know, at the time, too, we were anticipating that uh, 
come summer he would be a little too busy to one man bandit but uh you know the it, it's also turned into this document of how we've been dealing with uh, our lives amid um a global health crisis i mean you only just shot your first wedding of the season like a number of days ago right yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so typically uh you know I, I maybe start shooting in april and then it gets really busy in may and it lasts till about i'm usually really busy till like the beginning of november yeah and i have like this past weekend was my first wedding yeah uh, which was it was it was fine it was strange it was definitely a different experience sure. uh, and I tried the best to do what I do but it's hard not to let those outside sources sort of uh, affect you in 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 certain ways so it was strange yeah everything is strange <laughs> everything is strange yeah that's the 2020 motto right yeah I mean I don't think I have a single photo of my kids that is not in our living room we're not taking yeah. i mean we're taking them out for walks but we're not like you know we're not going to pl- you know not even go to their grandparents houses we're not going to we had a you know we were one of like four couples in our friend group who had kids around the same time and you know leading up to it when everybody's pregnant you're like oh great we'll all like get together and hang out with the kids and now it's like you know everybody's too terrified to do that i don't know if we've talked about this but I was born during the blizzard of 78, which is this big, it was like a, a historical event uh, for Rhode Islanders. Like everyone that was alive at the time was aware of the blizzard of 78. So that sort of defined my youth. And even now when my birthday gets brought up, uh, uh, or th- that date specifically, people are like, oh, wow, you were born during the blizzard because it brought uh, the state to a standstill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can imagine for your kids, once we get enough distance from this and once they're old enough to be aware how that will sort of not define them, but be a big part of who they are. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no way it won't be. Yeah. It's really strange. And I was thinking about that too. Like, um, you know, we're, we're sort of observing, you know, and I say we, I mean, we as in like the you know, big picture, we as, uh, a nation are sort of seeing our neighbors display a lot of their worst tendencies. And, you know, the, the fear is, uh, you know, we're there, you know, the survivors are going to be like, Oh, well we survived the coronavirus pandemic. So toughen up in the same way that I feel like a lot of people who were not born during the blizzard of 78, but who experienced it sort of wield it as a cudgel as opposed to, uh, you know, learning from it and trying to, uh, you know, you know, we survive things so that our, our children can learn from them, not to like set a metric for, you know, manliness or, uh, something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true because that's, that's, you hear that all the time of just like, well, when I was this age, I had, when, when you were born during the blizzard of 78, I had to walk several miles in the snow to buy you formula. So suck it up instead of saying, well, maybe there's a better option. (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) it's never about the better option. It's always about like, it was tough for me. So therefore shut up. Yeah. It's like this, it's like a fucked up, you know, dues paying mentality. And, uh, you know, it's really strange. Yeah. 
so yeah, you know, it's it, it, the the podcast has certainly been a sort of um, unexpected document for a lot of things for both of us. Um, I have been able to find a little bit of time here and there to um, distract myself with some things. I, I did just watch um, Palm Springs, uh, the Andy Samberg time loop movie, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, kind of it was it was it was kind of uh, the right thing for me at that moment. Just uh, I really found myself taken by it and. Um, Reading some kind of low stakes, not fluff, but um, I'm still working my way through the stand. I kind of stalled out on that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, in anticipation of maybe a future episode, because they just announced a new um, Star Wars game called Squadron, which looks like a throwback to the um, like X-Wing and TIE Fighter flight sims. Um, I've been reading the old uh, Rogue Squadron novel from the mid-90s, which is not no longer officially canon, but it's been it's been fun and a quick read and something I can, you know, chip away at ten minutes at a time when I'm not uh, changing diapers or doing tummy time and that kind of stuff, which is honestly like I do not that I didn't think I would enjoy it. I expected to enjoy it quite a bit, but um, yeah, it is really fun to just kind of like lie on the floor and wiggle loud toys over their faces to try to get them to pay attention to things and start to react and grab at them. And yeah, it's been neat. And you know, I, I sat them down with jaws on the 4th of July because it's the only tradition <laughs> I hold sacred on the nation's birthday. Really? You, you watch jaws every year? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Th- For how long? Uh, uh, I don't know. This, uh, this is probably one of the first years in recent memory where I haven't been uh, so drunk that I fell asleep in the middle of the afternoon watching it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, my mom's been here helping, so I've also been um, uh, abusing the fact that she has nowhere to go and nothing else to do to uh, indoctrinate her as a um, convert to The Simpsons. So that's been fun. Excellent. Yep. Um, we So right before we get into the subject of today's episode, and, and since you brought up Jaws, we didn't get into it on our Jurassic Park episode, but which movie do you prefer? Because they talked about this on um, the Jaws episode of Unspooled. And Paul Shear made the case for saying that he would possibly prefer to have Jurassic Park in the AFI top 100 as opposed to Jaws. Do you have a preference? Yeah, probably Jaws. I agree. I think Jaws is the better movie. And I think we kind of while not saying that directly on our episode, we did kind of point out some of the faults or the flaws of Jurassic Park uh, and those things that we were talking about that that maybe kept it from being, at least for me, top tier Spielberg are present in Jaws. Uh, those things that make Jaws, I think, essential and, and one of the best monster movies ever. Ain't no flaws in Jaws. Hey, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I really enjoyed that episode of Unspooled. They talk a lot about um, they talk a lot about like the sort of Altmany aspect of it, where like the the townspeople are always talking over each other, and there's always life is always happening in the background. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know, I remember as a kid, um, and Close Encounters has a bit of that too. Um, yeah, but it always um, it was definitely. Jaws was certainly the first time I noticed that in a movie and 
and it sort of it did make it feel more real and the fact that it was uh, shot on the vineyard and you know my grandparents lived on Cape Cod so it def it, it already felt very familiar and that um, that texture and the realness of the people yeah it really uh, it really keeps it um, there's a reason why we all go back to it so often it's um, uh, yeah I really I really do love that movie and actually uh, there's a, a gentleman in Providence who again mentioning the magazine I used to work for uh, I've interviewed him and We've kind of uh, chatted a, a bit outside of that context, but he um, he's in possession of the largest collection of Jaws memorabilia, like in the world. Um, wow. He co-authored uh, this book called Memories from the Vineyard, which is a, a big coffee table book collecting um, a lot of anecdotes and artifacts from the people who were living on the island during the filming of it. Because, I mean all the extras and a lot of the minor roles were just people who lived there, um, uh, which is fascinating. And he, I mean, the guy's a, an encyclopedia for all things Jaws. Um, it's, he's a, he's a fun guy to talk to. Um, I actually, I remember I bumped into him one night walking, uh, I think my wife and I were at AS220 seeing a show and it was super late and, he and his husband were walking back home from wherever they were coming from. And he's like, he's like, I want to come on your podcast. <laughs> so we'll have to have, uh, we'll have to have Jim on sometime. Um, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be yeah. awesome. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's never seen Piranha. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. No, he's a big movie guy. It was fun. Like, anytime we would talk to each other, it was be like, you know, what's the new thing in theaters or like, you know, what's the, the new criterion blue he just got or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and I, I think I have a new favorite line from Jaws, which kind of fits in with the, uh, that sort of ease of conversation and that like realness of it. It's when Hooper comes to the Brody's house and, you know, Chief Brody's drinking himself numb after, uh, Mrs. Kittner confronted him for not closing the beaches. And, uh, Ellen is talking to Hooper and she's like, what is, the, you know, is there's a, a scientific word for, being because she's talking about how Chief Brody's afraid of the water, and she's like, "What's the scientific word for that?" And he just like really bluntly says, "Drowning," and then, and then like gets into his, uh, you know, "fuck it, I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do what I want to do." Speech. Um, yeah, it was just that uh, I don't know the way he cuts her off, and uh, yeah, it's just a, 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 that simmering guilt of it all. It's just really the cast is so good. Yeah, yeah. so good. Yeah. So to segue into today's um, topic of conversation, Marvel recently, um, because of the pandemic, decided to remove a bunch of their more popular um, or critically acclaimed uh, issues from their paywall and made them free for the for the public to for anyone to just kind of read through and uh so you got caught up on some modern marvel comics yes yeah um yeah i uh, uh saw that there were a bunch of sort of volume one trades available um through uh the kindle app uh and again they they were sort of easy enough to consume while the kids are napping uh so i can just run down the list real quick i read um well, for Father's Day, you gave me um, the vision, mm -hmm. which is great, and 
I, I feel like that's one you had talked about before and that was felt like a power move like this yeah. is this is your way for me to like no longer keep putting it off um uh so i read that I, well i i well i i do just want to say that uh it is something that i really really enjoy but i knew that it was something that you that you would particularly enjoy uh and and i i had pitched to you that oh we should cover this comic because um, I think it's going to have some overlap with the new WandaVision TV show that's going to be up on Disney Plus, I think still sometime this year. So I felt like it would be a nice crossover. Um, but we're, we're, we're going to talk about it before that show premieres. Yeah. So. Uh, so The Vision, I read the first volume of Miss Marvel, which introduces uh, uh, Kamala Khan, who um, I was vaguely familiar with, but mostly from... She, she's one of the playable characters in Marvel Ultimate Alliance on uh-huh. Switch. Um, I read um, uh, the first volume of uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've covered her on yeah. the show before with Bitch Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also read, um, I read the first story arc where uh, Jane Foster assumed the role of Thor, knowing that that's informing the next Thor movie. And then I read the first volume of Tanahasi Coates's Black Panther. Um, mm-hmm. and knowing that was, uh, you know, uh, informed the Black Panther film. So yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Avengers in there that I caught up with. And especially going forward after Endgame, it seems that they're pulling a lot from, these characters yeah black panther captain marvel and ms marvel in particular yeah these are definitely not you know prior to the mcu these were not the household names that you know spider-man x-men the hulk um i mean even uh you know we are not that far removed from a world where iron man was sort of a maybe at best a second stringer Um, Uh uh-huh so yeah i mean the the you know, a lot of that has to do with um, navigating the the rights that these characters were tied up with at different studios. Um, but yeah, it's really kind of opened up the the door to expanding the the non comic readers' idea of of who the the big players in this world are. Um, and you know, well, I'll get into it more specifically as we talk about each one. But I think, as someone who had not really been keeping up with comics as much as i once was uh some of these were more successful than others some of them were you know so beholden to continuity and what had come previous that uh, a lot of the stakes just didn't um i just didn't really give a shit mostly you know not because i didn't want to but because i like i truly had no idea what was happening um yeah and there's a lot to unpack and like the 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 two sentence synopsis on the the first page uh, can only do so much and at least i know enough to be able to sort of kind of get what may have happened beforehand but you know i don't know what someone who whose introduction to black panther was the movie and then you know reading about uh, you know namor causing a flood and uh, you know ousting uh, doom from you know this is a lot of like the soap opera e of it all kind of 
kind of lands pretty early on and, and makes it kind of tough. Uh, and and uh, I'm out of practice for sure and, and certainly don't know <laughs> the politics uh, like I once did. I think what you're talking about is a big problem with the comic book or at least the superhero comic industry uh, and that it really oftentimes caters to people that have been around for a long time. Uh, and the mythology can get so dense that... Uh, a book like Vision, which really feels very self-contained, it's only 12 issues and tells one complete story, and really doesn't require you to know much beyond the story it's giving you, works so, so well. Or something like Ms. Marvel, where it's really just starting at ground level with a new character. Yep. And you do run into other characters in there, other Marvel characters show up, uh, and even more show up as the series progresses. Um, but for the most part, uh, all you really need to know is who Kamala is, and, and you get to learn who she is throughout the course of the series. But this has always been a big talking point for at least 30-plus years now that these series and stories are not uh, accessible to new readers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember being, I think, in the fifth or sixth grade and going to a comic book store and wanting to get a Spider-Man comic, and it was in the thick of the clone saga. So I had <laughs> no fucking idea what was happening at all. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when I really jumped on to comics in high school, it was at the beginning of um, Bendis's run on Daredevil, which the scope and the scale of that was so small and you know kind of like they did with the netflix stuff those defenders characters were like the ground level marvel heroes uh so you weren't talking about cosmic stakes so that was easy to get into uh grant morrison's new x-men was kind of a uh was it was a a jumping on point that you know had a lot of continuity but i think by by virtue of the x-men saturday morning cartoon being as faithful to um the mythology as it was like I knew, you know, I knew what the Phoenix force was and that stuff. And then, but it also introduces new characters and villains. So in the same way that, uh, Kamala Khan is a, a fresh start because she's never been in a comic before, like having these familiar heroes face new foes and threats, you know, you just need to know the framework that the X-Men and yeah. the school and Xavier and all that. And that's enough. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I never read any of the cosmic stuff because it felt very, it felt like I had to do a lot of homework before I could kind of catch up on that kind of stuff. I've been a constant comic reader. I maybe had like a few lapses here and there, but for the most part, I've always kept up sort of, <laughs> uh, and I say sort of because it's hard sometimes to know the bigger picture of what's happening either at Marvel or DC in regard to the continuity of their universe, because with, aside from the continuity within a particular character series, there is the continuity of what's happening in their world because all those characters obviously interact with each other and, and something that what happened in one book could affect another character in another book. Subscribing to the Marvel Unlimited uh, has been helpful because if I'm reading something and it doesn't make sense, I can go and read the source. I could go back. I could find that easily because it's all right there in 
um, their digital service. Right. You just have to be okay with being behind by like, you know, six months. But I typically, the way I like to read is um, I, I look for writers and I go through kind of like a writer's kind of arc or series. Um, in the case of something like Ms. Marvel, like that was kind of new and people were, I was unfamiliar with uh, the creator, the writer, uh, G. Willow Wilson. And uh, so, but she, she wrote um, the bulk of Ms. Marvel. She only recently left with the series within the past, I believe, year and a half or two years. Um, so that was kind of like a jumping off point for that. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, most recently, I just like uh, read Mark Wade's run of uh, Daredevil. Speaking of, I'm really sorry about saying this, but speaking of the devil. Uh, uh, and uh, so then after that, I was like, I want to read more Mark Wade. So I started reading more uh, of his stuff. And so that's kind of how I always choose to read things as opposed to just saying like, you know, other than Spider-Man, which I try to read almost everything of rather than saying, oh, I, w- I want to read this character. It's usually like the ones, the series that are being talked about or writers that I like. Sure. Yeah. And that's what, um, you know, really gra- uh, that's what attracted me to these handful of stories is knowing um, either, you know, in the case of, um, Kelly Sue DeConnick, a writer we've talked about previously, um, uh, Tanahasi Coates is, you know, not, who's not a comic writer first, um, you know, so like seeing the perspective that he brought to the character and, and knowing that it informed the movie. Um, and yeah, I, I, and sort of upcoming adaptations and stuff like that. So why don't why don't we start with that Black Panther because I I'm assuming that's the one that was the toughest for you. Yeah, I think the 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 weight of the previous events because you know this arc in particular, um, you know, really deals with a villain who is exploiting uh, the sort of resentment of the um, you know working class and this idea of you know uh, regardless of the fact that. Uh, T'Challa is a benevolent king, like what it means to be a a ruler as opposed to a leader in a modern, especially a hyper-modern society like Wakanda. And that's interesting. And the movie plays with that idea of resentment towards uh, leadership. Um, but all that simmering resentment seemed stemmed from, you know, Dr. Doom invading and like, I don't some sort of flood that I mentioned with Namor. Um, there was some cosmic shenanigans. Um, at that point, both storm and Shuri had briefly assumed the role of black Panther. I don't know the background for that. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that storm and, uh, T'Challa were an item at one point. Yeah. They were married. Before Black Panther came out, I went and I read every Black Panther comic. So that goes all the way back to the 70s run, the the Jack Kirby run, which is only like, I believe, 12 or so issues. The run that probably defines the character the most, which is by Christopher Priest. And that was uh, in the late, late 90s, early 2000s. And that's probably the one that that gave us the Dora Milaje um and introduce Shuri and all that stuff. Uh, and that probably defines the movie more than the new Tennessee Coates series. 
But I remember I got up to that first six issues of this newest run of Black Panther. And I agree. I was just like, oh, there's a this is dense. And I understood it more because I kind of knew the backstory. But at the same time, this is the first new just straight Black Panther series in, a, in quite a few years. Uh, Shuri had kind of taken over for a while and it was mostly about her. And then there was this other series, which I didn't actually read, where Black Panther became Daredevil. I, I just kind of had a checked out by that point. Sure. I mean, they all like to swap up their team affiliation once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I hear. So after those six issues, I was decided uh, I'm going to wait till there's enough story here to get the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't read past those first six issues. Um, I hear it gets really, really good. I think the issue is that, like you said, Tennessee Coates uh, is is a great prose writer, uh, and this is his first foray into comic books. And I think he was kind of getting his bearing and figuring out how he's going to tell a story. Um, and so. I hear it, it goes to really great places, and he's actually currently uh, writing Captain America. Oh, cool! Uh, which I also hear is pretty cool. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't even necessarily think that it was what didn't resonate with me wasn't, you know, his writing necessarily. Yeah, it, it he was clearly beholden to, you know, organizing all of the stuff that had come before it and kind of filtering his idea uh, through that lens of extended continuity. Um, And like I said, the ideas are really interesting. Um, You know, the ideas playing around with like what it means to be a ruler in terms of uh, allowing, you know, you know, T'Challa allowing people to see certain aspects of his power so that his, his uh, citizens like are never in fear of him. And that's sort of you know, the idea of, um, you know, a, you know, a super powered King, uh, abusing that privilege. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that would have, I think if not for the continuity, which I wasn't expecting, knowing that it was the first black Panther series in a, in a while, I was kind of surprised by how much of the greater Marvel mythology was, uh, at play. You know, that said, knowing that it does get better, um, it's probably something I would get back to at some point. I really like the character. I think he's unique within the Marvel Universe uh, and just unique as a superhero in general, because that idea of this country that's kind of been hidden to to the world at large in in some ways and, and how it's the most technologically advanced country. Like there's so much politics in it that I I find really fascinating. And also kind of like a a westerner white westerner's perspective of of Africa how, how it isn't true you know mm-hmm. how there's so much more there uh, and i that's what i really liked about the movie too like it kind of subverts your expectations just the premise alone is so unique that i uh, i think it makes it interesting i i do feel like that first six issues feels like a lot of setup too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like uh, it's a lot of kind of laying the foundation for where he wants to go with the series. And I do believe that um, from what I've read, and this is mostly kind of observational because I don't like to get 
too into the weeds where it spoils the story for me. But I do believe that it goes kind of cosmic where he there's like almost like I want to say like some form of Wakanda in space. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so but again, I, I don't know too, too much about it, but I, I hear it gets really good. And I really like the artwork in this first first series, too. I think it's it's pretty great. Um, the Thor story arc with, I mean, they don't even identify her as Jane Foster, um, was another one that was, you know, and then like you get into the, the Thor mythology specifically, and that almost feels separate from the rest of Marvel stuff. Um, and I think, again, this was uh, a lot of interesting ideas that, were hindered by all of this backstory. I also found the art a lot, uh, really kind of hard to follow, especially the action was very, and the way she's using the hammer and it's zipping around, I frequently did not understand what was happening. And maybe it's just me being a little out of practice, but um, yeah, there was cool stuff in it. I liked the idea of, you know, where Thor was sort of reacting to what it meant to lose the privilege of wielding the hammer and, um, you know, what it meant for him as like this, you know, macho alpha male guy to sort of relinquish the, the mantle to, to a woman and his sort of coming to terms with that was interesting. And I just didn't understand why they didn't let us know it was Jane because they play it as if she's this mysterious figure but you're also in her head a lot. And I don't know if, yeah. if maybe you're supposed to know it. I just know it because I know after the fact. Sure. Well, when they announced it, they didn't announce it was Jane. Mm-hmm. So it was a big mystery. And Jane is um, the character Natalie Portman played in the movies. Correct. Um, the other big hurdle for that is that's not the beginning of that arc. No, it's not. So Jason Aaron was is the writer. And he started, and he did this whole series. He started on Thor, and he did this uh, mini series where Thor is teaming up with the future king version of himself and a past version of himself, where he's essentially this pompous, drunk asshole. Um, and they they team up in order to fight this creature called the God Butcher. And you could obviously connect what that character does by his name mm-hmm. um but uh, this god butcher essentially is murdering all these other gods and thor has to stop him and it kind of sets things up for this arc to come and then unfortunately there's a mini series uh, one of those big kind of um, crossover events with all the characters and that's where thor loses the hammer yeah, in this miniseries, and that's disconnected from the Thor series at large. Uh, and although I believe Jason Aaron kind of had a hand in that, uh, it's still happening outside of the Thor books, right? And as that series progresses, you get uh, a lot more of Jane and why this has happened, why she is now Thor. Uh, it is played a bit like a mystery. Uh, but because it is like that decompressed sort of storytelling, which we talked about in our Fantastic Four episode, they really kind of stretch it out a bit and really play up the mystery of who is this character. Um, but once we know it's Jane and we start learning more about 
chain it uh it goes to some pretty great places and the arc as a whole is one of my favorites of the past few years okay um as i'm sure you're aware now they constantly restart with number ones <laughs> uh which is really can be helpful but also frustrating if you're kind of reading and i think we'll get into that in a minute with uh captain marvel because i'm hoping we read the same arc <laughs> Well, I've, I've read them all, but I reread for this episode, and I'm hoping I reread the correct number Which one. Which one did you read? It was the one where she goes into space. Yes, bigger. Okay. What is it? Yeah, the the uh, farther, wait, higher, faster, further, whatever. The yeah. same tagline for the movie. Yeah. Because um, that's not the first uh, number one that Kelly Sue DeConnick wrote. Gotcha. But it is a number one. It is a number one. Yeah. Thor restarts at number one again, and there weren't enough issues on the Marvel Unlimited app, so I've been waiting for his arc, his his run to end, because mm-hmm. um, he told a complete story, and it's all now up on there, so that's one of the next things I have on my uh, chopping block. Nice. Uh, I'm excited to read. But I, I do really like that story. That is a kind of strange place. It is like an intro place, because... Again, like Jane is taking the mantle of Thor and it starts with her as Thor. Um, But there are a few other connective things and it might play that miss. It is kind of strange to know who she is, even though it's supposed to be a mystery. So that might play really weird. Yeah. And I think too, the, the amount of time you spend like with her as like the narrator character, it seems odd to not let us know who she is. It it's it just it just seems like a like an odd approach to the mystery. I think the mystery works best when we're you know, there's an issue that's in firmly in Thor's point of view. Most of it is really centered on what Jane's doing. But it, yeah, it's 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 weird in that it's so uh internal yet keeping you at an arm's length. And it also tends to jump around a lot. And I think I think that's what you were getting at earlier that we talked about with um that we talked about it during the Fantastic Four episode is whereas the old Fantastic Four comics were so densely narrated. Um, and sometimes modern comics tend to, um, there's not as much connective tissue as maybe there should be from one page to the next or one setting to the next things kind of jump around. Uh, and the action is almost accelerated. Like in this one, there's a, a lot of stuff where these frost giants are attacking, uh, uh, a Roxon installation looking for the skull of their dead king, but like it also suggests that they've frozen the entire ocean. That seems significant enough that maybe we should have <laughs> seen that happen. <laughs> um, but you know, it's also, uh, I guess, all just window dressing to facilitate Jane kind of grappling with what's happening to her as. Thor all of a sudden so it doesn't really matter but it, it, it early on I was kind of like I, I don't know how we got here eh, just it, just trust that where we were supposed to be it's almost like the Captain Marvel movie too where maybe the big fault of that movie is that she she isn't herself until the very end of the movie you know so we don't really know um, I, and, and I don't remember but do we get any of her not being Thor in those first six issues? No. Or is it all? Yeah. So that's where it really kicks into high gear. Cause once you learn who she is, we get some of her life, not as Thor. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is 
I think really, uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you because there's a there's another big kind of, I don't want to say twist, but it's a big character thing for her. Yeah, I, um, I know which, what it is, I think. You do? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. And, you know, and that, here's, um, I, we won't say it out loud, but I did quickly go to Wikipedia for for Thor and for Black Panther. And as, as more gets added to continuity, the the descriptions get more like blunt and bullet pointy. So, you know, you're suddenly seeing years worth of things condensed into three sentences and it's almost impossible to avoid the spoilers. Cause I'm like, I'm just scrolling through Thor looking for Jane Foster. It's like first sentence, she becomes Thor second sentence says the thing that you're hinting at. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's tricky when you, there, there's no easy way to sort of scan a a um, you know a decades long summary and not have the things you're heading towards get ruined while you're trying to catch up on what came beforehand. If that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. I think for Thor, I because that does happen to me a lot. Where I'll I'll like especially if there's just like an overabundance of characters that I have no idea who they are. I'll go to the Wikipedia page and try to, to, to fill in some, some information there and you will get spoiled. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no way around it. Um, I think for Thor, I went in pretty cold and, in uh, but I, I read from the, that first initial run, which has this beautiful, almost painterly kind of look to it. Um, the artist's name is Asad Ribic. He's a Croatian uh, artist. He's from Croatia and and the art he did for this first and i believe he did the last run as well of thor is like it's like painterly it's really beautiful mm-hmm. and that kind of sets up thor's arc uh it, it makes that a little more accessible and then they build on the whole roxon thing and i believe um what's his name from the second thor movie is the main oh malekith yeah Malekith, and he's so much more interesting than he is in that movie. He's a lot more playful and mm-hmm. and, and and manipulative, and he's an actual character and not just like a, a faceless villain. Sure, yeah, and like all the stuff with Freya is a lot of fun too. Um, they they do a good job of establishing that Odin had been in some kind of exile, and he comes back and expects to just have the throne handed back to him. And he's a massive prick. Oh, he's a huge douche. It, but like, yeah, and that's um, you yeah, know that tracks with you know, the sort of classic mythological version of Odin. I mean, all of the Norse gods were tremendous drunks and yeah. assholes. Um, <laughs> or, you know, there there's a nice, like, recurring gag whenever Jane shows up somewhere as Thor uh, to, like, kick someone's ass. And, you know, they're like, who the hell are you? And she's like, I'm Thor. And, you know, they're like, just Thor? Not like Lady Thor or... or, or you know, she thunder or something like that. Um, which is always sort of like the, uh, you know, like the, the shitty way to introduce just a, a female version of a male character and not put in the extra effort to like give her her own personality. So yeah, so let's, let's switch to something that's much more self-contained. Um, let's talk about the vision. Uh, I was surprised to learn that this happens in continuity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because it's so strange and it is so kind of confident in its being its own thing. There are parts of it that were tough for me to follow because, again, the vision is very much a 
like third tier character, I would think. I certainly didn't know anything about him until the movies introduced him. And uh, aside from Spider-Man, one of my favorite characters. Oh, really? Uh, in the Marvel, in the Marvel, when he he was my favorite when I was little. Yeah, I loved the Vision. I always just thought he was the coolest looking character. Uh, and anything that had Vision in him, I tried to read when I was young. Um, so I was really excited when the series came out, and I I I didn't collect them as they came out. I got the trade, uh, the collection. And it's 12 issues. And, and and critics said it was amazing and made a lot of best of the year um, when it came out. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's written by Tom King, uh, who's kind of gone on to do some other cool stuff. But also he's been a, a bit divisive in some ways. He wrote Batman, right? He did a big run of Batman, which some people say that elements of it are some of the best Batman stories of the past several decades, and some people hate a lot of it. I just read that he is doing a 12-issue Rorschach miniseries. Yeah, just announced this morning, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't... Do we need that? Uh, no. <laughs> but, you know, the the TV show proved to be the exception to the rule with expanding the Watchmen universe. It seems, too, that from the... Uh, official announcement uh of the series it seems that he's basing it on the perception or at least a lot of the series the tv series that just came out whereas i think he wants to talk about rorschach sort of being a bad guy and misinterpreted and but i don't i don't i you know yeah so yeah so the premise of the vision is that you know the vision is the uh android avenger who was initially created by ultron to destroy the avengers uh in this book he has been he's relocated to a suburb in virginia to be the sort of avengers liaison to the white house um and has created a a wife and two children um in his own image to sort of have this normal life what you end up getting is and forgive me, I'm using this analogy strictly for the superficial context of it, is sort of a, a superhero story by way of like an American beauty kind of, you know, um, you know, the fucked up lives of suburban families kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, with four uh, robot superpowered individuals. I, I think the key distinction between that and kind of like the suburban malaise type of story, aside from the fact that he's forcing this narrative onto this family that he's created, it's about how people perceive them as being different. Mm -hmm. And that also fuels a lot of the tension that happens in the family and in the neighborhood. Uh, They're, they're almost outcasts in a lot of ways because they, they are, um, they are androids. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of the, it is the flip of that, urban malaise narrative in that all they all he wants is to be normal you know um he's kind of like uh the the collection has the the pitch document that they presented um and they describe him as like the spock of the marvel universe i mean and you know he yeah like spock or like data that sort of that quest for human like normal humanity and then you know you suddenly get supervillains barging in and his wife uh pretty brutally murders a guy who is trying to harm her family and what ends up happening is you have a uh you know 
this kind of hit close to home. We've been, as we've been adjusting to being parents, um, uh, you know, my wife has been struggling with postpartum depression and, you know, so see, having a, a, a story where you see a woman sort of presented with this idea of like what a perfect family life should be. And then it kind of short circuiting her, like literally in the case of the vision where she's, her speech gets broken up and she starts repeating oh, like, you know, like a, like a broken robot. This was harder for me to read than I was expecting uh, in some ways. Um, but I think that, you know, it's certainly of these comics we're talking about is certainly the most bold in how it is handling its characters and putting someone so powerful and uh, beyond normal into this context is interesting. And I think uh, I was texting you, there's a, there's a sequence of pages uh, that, you know, Vision and the Avengers are fighting this giant monster. Um, it's like an homage to a classic Fantastic Four cover. And meanwhile, he's having a phone call with his wife about like the most normal mundane stuff. And that, that, that sequence of pages is kind of this series in a nutshell. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It even starts off with uh, some neighbors coming over to give them cookies and welcoming, welcoming the family to the neighborhood. And uh, they are wrestling with this notion of what makes someone human. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this conversation after this 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 couple leaves, and Vision it, it tells his wife um, the pursuit of a set purpose of biological means is the way of tyranny. This is the vision of my creator of Ultron. The pursuit of unattainable purpose by absurd means is the way of freedom. This is my vision of the future, of our future. It's like this notion of like, we have to grapple with uncertainty, even though we define everything through logic, because that's how we see the world. We need to embrace uncertainty in order to understand and be human, yet that uncertainty is what (laughs) breaks the family apart. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, obviously the vision defies his programming to become a hero. But, you know, then there is um, his wife and then his uh, his brother, Victor, uh, who also sort of defy their programming. Um, Halfway through the story, what you end up learning is that uh, the Scarlet Witch's mentor, I believe, has been presented with a, a vision of vision uh, destroying the world, essentially, because something happens and he turns on the Avengers. Um, and eh, fuck it. Let's just spoil it. And if you want to yeah, read this, uh, skip ahead a bit. The reason he ends up killing the Avengers is because they they are responsible for the death of his son by sending Vision's brother, who is also an android, but a slightly more human-looking android, to sort of infiltrate and observe, knowing that something is going to happen to make Vision go crazy. So it becomes like one of those, you know, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, there is no fate but what we make kind of things. Like, the Avengers know Vision's going to go crazy, but they don't know why, and they end up being the cause of why he goes crazy. To save what's left of her family... Virginia, the Vision's wife, ends up uh, killing Victor, thus 
sparing the vision from descent into full-on supervillain. She kind of takes the hit because that is the thing, you know, that that idea that uh, a, a married couple will do anything, you know, for their their spouse, you know, that's, that kind of supersedes the programming. That's sort of where she ends up. Yeah, it it gets really, it gets, it goes to some pretty weird places. I think, too, when we talk about the movies and how oftentimes we enjoy the Marvel movies, but we wish they took bigger swings, I think what we're talking about is this. Mm-hmm. Like, we want more of this, uh, where it takes chances, where it doesn't really come down to these big brawls. It comes down to questions of the character's reality and and personal <laughs> personal sure. problems. Yeah, I um I recently rewatched Mask of the Phantasm, the Batman the animated series movie because it showed mm-hmm. up on Netflix. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. It is uh by all rights a kids movie. It's based on a Saturday morning cartoon or a weekday afternoon cartoon whatever. And what struck me as so odd and why I think a lot of people hold it in such a high regard as a Batman story is that you know, the only big marquee villain is in it is the Joker, and he's almost in like a Hannibal Lecter kind of role. Mm-hmm. Most of the villains are aging mafia crime dons, uh, a new villain we'd never heard of, and then so much of it is dedicated to this idea of Bruce Wayne trying to have a normal life and then like begging, you know, his parents at their grave to like, let him off the hook to let him stop being Batman. Um, and that's sort of, you know, uh, really internally focused story is not what we're seeing in a lot of the big superhero movies, you know, um, something like into the spider verse kind of plays around with that, but by virtue of it being, uh, a new version of Spider-Man on top of including, you know, five other variants of Spider-Man gets to play around with what it means to be that hero in particular, but a hero in general. Um, but yeah, I think these stories that sort of upend our idea of who these characters are and place them into situations like domestic life end up feeling more heightened because we're used to them doing, you know, things on a cosmic and superpowered scale. I mean, it it is a double-edged sword in some ways because what makes superhero comics unique is that it does have, they they all do exist in this world and they can interact with each other. Um, But how do you tell satisfying stories when they become so dependent on that that bigger world? Right. That's what becomes difficult. That's what makes something like Endgame's impenetrable for anyone that hasn't at least seen an Iron Man or Avengers movie. And it, it and, and the worry is that going forward that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to go the way of the 616 comic book universe and that it will become so dense and inaccessible for anyone new. But they're introducing new characters, so hopefully those will be kind of like standalone, a little more yeah. uh, accessible. Yeah, I mean, this, the vision struck me as like the the prestige tv version of what marvel has always kind of done well and different whereas the dc heroes are always sort of you know this especially the big three this trinity of almost like godlike characters and marvel's thing has always been like the people under the mask 
you know, that's why Spider-Man is so interesting because he's just a a dorky kid or the Fantastic Four are just a family. So kind of giving Vision that same treatment uh, was super cool. You know, again, though, there were little fragments of continuity. I I was vaguely aware of his relationship with Scarlet Witch, but, um, you know, the, the villain who his wife Virginia kills in that first issue, the Grim Reaper, was the brother of Wonder Man, and he was upset because the Vision has Wonder Man's brainwaves, and I have no fucking idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, yeah, I, that's fair, and I think... I don't know if that's necessary, though, for this story. Like, the story works without you needing to know that Right. I mean, it, it's sort of, it's it's one example of his actual normal life intruding on this glamorized normalcy that he's trying to force into place. You know, like, and, um, and they kind of hint that Virginia has the Scarlet Witch's brainwaves as well. Like, he based it off of Scarlet Witch. Yeah, yeah it's just, that kind of stuff kind of, slows things down for a minute but like you said it it doesn't really matter because it it's more it it does a better job of using that type of continuity to inform it as opposed to be beholden to all that stuff yeah He, he even forces his kids to go to school and they talk about how oh well we don't we don't really need to go to school because we know all this stuff. We can just program it. It's just there. It's just automatically there. And he's like, no, but we want to be normal. But the first time the kids go to school, they arrive by flying in. Right. <laughs> and there's like this panel that's almost like a widescreen shot with all these kids kind of surrounded and the two figures above them, godlike, floating down to go to school. So that in and of itself means that they're not going to be normal. Right. Um, but he keeps forcing them. No, you can't phase through walls. You can't. Stop shooting laser beams at each other's yeah. <laughs> laser beams and having like a tug of war with it. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, you know, and that's the other interesting thing about it is, is he's trying to force this round peg into a square hole. He's just like, this is how they define themselves. And he's saying, no, we, we are now going to define ourselves this way. Uh, it, that makes for some interesting storytelling. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a good segue in terms of, um, did I just say segue? <laughs> I think you said Spegway. <laughs> That's a good segue to um, this idea of um, being defined by your family. So let's talk about Miss Marvel. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, so Kamala Khan is um, uh, a young um, uh, Muslim teenager living in New Jersey who idolizes the Avengers and through means that I cannot currently recall ends up with these shape-shifting abilities. Um, and yeah. So uh, so that a, a little backstory on that. Um, around this time, there's a lot of uh, sort of conspiracy theories that are going around, uh, that, were go- that were going around about this. But at the time, people were speculating that because Marvel didn't have the rights to the mutants, um, uh, because uh, 20th Century Fox were making X-Men movies and they had the rights to them, um, that Marvel couldn't necessarily promote them the way they wanted to, so they started putting their money behind uh, Inhumans. And obviously they did that uh, that Inhuman series, which was originally supposed to be a movie, which bombed, but they did a big push in the series 
uh, company-wide within humans. And so what happens to Kamala is there's this big thing called the Terrigen Mist. And essentially this mist, when it um, hits people, if they have any of these latent inhuman genes within their body, gotcha. It, 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 the mist brings them to the fore and they um, express these latent uh superhero abilities gotcha okay yeah so she is obsessed with the avengers in particular she idolizes captain marvel um and when she gets these powers is sort of presented with a vision of captain marvel iron man and um captain america maybe yeah Mm -hmm. um and just says like i want to be like you and sort of suddenly wakes up looking like the classic miss marvel with like the sort of bathing suit costume uh tall leggy blonde white and uh slowly but surely over the course of this first arc she comes to terms with being her own version of miss marvel and you know comfort comfortable in her own skin um outside of the superpowers it plays a lot with the sort of perception of her white classmates of what she as a um, muslim girl is and is not allowed to do there's like a scene where she um it's kind of condescendingly shown pity for not being able to go to parties by this um, kind of popular white girl. The conflict between her wanting that sort of um, rebellious teenage life and um, a more strict conservative family at home. Uh, we've talked about this before when we talked about Fun Home, that these types of stories are always going to be universal but what makes them stand out and interesting is when you get to see it from a different perspective so um again this is a story that fits in with that classic mold of you know why is spider-man interesting this i mean this is like spider-man yeah it's 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 she she instead of queens she lives in um jersey city and she's going to high school and uh, she gets her powers and she's freaking out and she has to deal with her powers in the context of her high school. It's the same character, but what makes this so distinctive is written by a Muslim woman and it's about a Muslim character and it's a, something we just don't see and that specificity is what makes it so fresh and, and interesting. Yeah, and Kamala is a super charming character. Um, you know, knowing from the video games where she would, you know, yell embiggen, which is a fake word from The Simpsons, like... She's just a, a she's just a, a nerdy girl who suddenly finds uh, herself with this tremendous power, and um, you know she's uh, she's a fan. She's geeking out about these heroes already, and then suddenly the opportunity to be one, and she could not be more excited to be a superhero. Um, kind of like uh, you know getting to see Spider Man be excited to be Spider Man with um, you know Tom Holland kind of brought that back to the character for a bit. There was no long, you know, there was a lot of uh, existential angst about the responsibility, and that's not necessarily what makes him fun all the time. Um, so, yeah, just that that fresh perspective and fresh voice kind of takes what is a, uh, a, a, a comic book standard and certainly a, an origin story standard, um, makes it feel fresh again and this is probably my favorite of the bunch just because of how fun she is and how you know the the characters are just also uh bright and distinct and even the um the art style really kind of reflects her her 
uh, exuberant personality. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like gestural. Like it almost looks like sketches in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not like heavily inked or bold. Um, it. it and and there's a simplicity to the faces, but like the hair has a lot of detail and the backgrounds almost look like it comes from a sketchbook. Yeah, it does that thing that anime does a lot where like to show like an extreme emotion, the the like the eyes and the mouth can be like super cartoony. Yeah. Um, and background characters can be super, super cartoony. Like they don't look like they're proportioned well. And there's nothing cooler than when she is running or getting big and she has the thinnest limbs and the biggest hands and it looks so cool it's so fun the artist is uh adrian alfona and he uh did this seminal run with brian k vaughn of this series called runaways uh from like the mid uh early aughts uh which is a terrific book uh and then he kind of um after that kind of didn't do any marvel comics for a while uh, came back for Ms. Marvel, and his work is just, I, I love it so much. Uh, and the coloring um, is fantastic. It's kind of muted, except for when you see her bold red of her costume. Like, it's it, they, they, cho- they choose when to emphasize certain colors, and they really pop and really stand out. But a lot of the skin tones and the background colors are kind of muted, and there's a lot of almost like watercolor texture kind of added to everything. It's 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 so good. I, I love the artwork so, so much. Yeah, um, and, and just having it removed even by a small geographical distance from New York allows it to feel like its own thing because <laughs> uh, I have to assume that uh, while the rest of the country must be plagued by super villainy, New York is tends to be all set. So she she has that sort of the story has that one step of removal, and then her sort of idolizing of these characters as a normal person would um, allows it, especially like all to exist outside of continuity while still being part of the world. And I have to imagine eventually she teams up with other heroes. Um, but even the villain in this is seems to be just some kind of, you know, low level new villain. Um, I, I, you know, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger and you don't get to really get the full extent of his evil plot. But, um, yeah, it was just super refreshing. And, um, I'm definitely, I think of all of the ones that are, you know, ongoing stories, the most interested to see where this one goes. Yeah, and, and it's great because, you know, Marvel tried this thing. They called it, they basically did this branding called All New, All Different, um, you know, Marvel Now. Uh, and they started over at number ones and they introduced all these new characters, Kamala being one of them. The idea was for more inclusivity and a greater diversity in their roster of characters. So you had a female Iron Man, that's Iron Heart, Riri Williams, and you had Amadeus Cho, who was um, became the Hulk. You had a female uh, Wolverine, who's been around for a while. Um, obviously Kamala, and then you had Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man. So the idea was for more diversity. Um, some of them, some of these series were better than others. Some of them were written by white men. Uh, if you do a search for all new, all different uh, Marvel, you'll see a number of 
people equivocating about why it wasn't as successful as it was. And most of those people attribute it to Marvel um, catering to the social justice warriors uh, of the world, which is a lot of horseshit, uh, unfortunately. I think the problem is Marvel maybe didn't give it the time it needed. Uh, and they kind of, uh, because as we've talked about, they typically try to cater to the same audience over and over. Um, so diversity is great, but you have to you have to hire more diverse artists and writers and creators, and you also have to foster that diversity and give it time. Um, but Ms. Marvel is the exception because she was a huge success, and now there's going to be a Ms. Marvel TV series. And she's apparently a big part of the new Avengers game that is coming out soon. Um, so that's heartening. But I think when you read it, you see that you could you it, you instantly understand within these first six issues why she's such a uh, an exciting new character. Yeah, definitely. That's the other thing. Like you, you're getting this perspective from uh, it, it, she has immigrant parents and they want better for her. So that's that kind of, again, going back to, well, I can't let my family down that you got from Spider-Man, except mm -hmm. for she has her whole family. Um, so she's trying to understand what it is to be a Muslim in America uh, and to, to make her parents happy, not let her family down and not let her ideals down, not let Captain Marvel down. Uh, so you have, there's so much to play with in the series. It, is, it continues to be really good as it goes on. Well, uh, since she's come up so much, let's just get to the last one and talk about Captain Marvel. Yeah, and as I stated before, I was I was nervous I read the wrong uh, first six issues because I reread both the Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel. But yeah, the, so the, the issues that you read um, were written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, as we said, and this is like this newer version of uh, Captain Marvel. And she was previously Ms. Marvel, and she was a big part of... Brian Michael Bendis's Avengers run, um, which I'm actually currently rereading for the first time since it, it came out. Uh, that started in 2004, and he his whole Avengers run ran till 2010. Mm -hmm. But that version of Ms. Marvel, as you uh, as you said, was the kind of bikini suited, high um, the 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 knee high boots and the the kind of the long gloves. Um, there's this one um, series that Bendis wrote called Mighty Avengers. Uh, in the first six issues, she's the leader of the Avengers, but the artist, um, Frank Cho, uh, who's a good artist, um, he would always draw her in like those stereotypical poses of, you know, showing her butt. Yeah. It's always, always from the behind, always mm -hmm. those kind of awkward poses. So the, Kelly Sue DeConnick took this character and tried to kind of give her a little more agency and less sexism. That redesign of the costume, I think, is really great, uh, especially with the really cool faux hawk that she has with when she has her mask on. Mm -hmm. And that's the same costume that we saw in the recent movie. Sure. Um, but what's fun, I think, about this first six issues is she takes Captain Marvel and basically puts her into... Uh, sort of a Star Wars meets Yojimbo type of story. Yeah, I you know it, it you know starts off with her on Earth, and you know Iron Man has decided that uh, it makes sense for the Avengers to have a presence in space. Um, you get a bit of uh, a glimpse of her romance with 
roadie, a uh, war machine. So you get a, a sense of what she might be leaving behind. But then uh, she's pretty quickly off into space and removed from any baggage that comes with um, continuity. Uh, she encounters the Guardians of the Galaxy pretty quickly, but thanks to the movies, we we know who they are. And there's really nothing there going on that you need to do any homework on. There's a lot of backstory with um, uh, Star-Lord and his father. Yeah, but they do a pretty good job of establishing, like, my dad is an intergalactic tyrant and a dick, and I'm sort of stuck with the baggage that comes with that. Otherwise, yeah, like you said, it's sort of just a a very Star Wars-y adventure. You've got uh, uh, a diverse array of different uh, aliens who are all living on this sort of refugee planet, um, and you've got uh, an evil warlord who, uh, who, who's, uh, uh, whose plot is pretty clear to follow and specific to what's happening here. Uh, yeah, it was really refreshing to not have to unpack a lot of, um, knowing that she is an established character. She did not take a lot of her, uh, backstory with her. Uh, I did not know that this, I expected this to be the sort of, evolution of her from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel. So I was surprised when that didn't happen. But the movie informed me enough about her backstory that I didn't really matter. I was more interested in just seeing her in action outside of... And I, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was not an origin story because I think that was... You know, my issue with the movie was just having origin story fatigue. And I feel like... You know, I feel like um, Marvel does not give an audience enough credit to just believe that they could present them with a superhero and have that hero on an adventure. You know, I don't think anyone's going to, I did not walk away from this wanting to know more about how she became Captain Marvel. I'm like, Oh, she flies. She shoots rays out of her hands. She's, she's doing her thing. And that's enough. It's funny. You say that, uh, talk about how refreshing this is and separated from continuity because this is, issue i think 19 of kelly sue DeConnick's run mm-hmm. so she does a really good job of making this accessible to new readers despite the fact that she's been writing it for over two years and there was a jumping on point where she, that's when they did the the new costume redesign and kind of streamline her origin because her origin gets pretty complicated sure um the difference between the movie and the comic is you know there was another captain marvel at one point in time and he was a male and she assumed his mantle essentially everything else is pretty much the same um but yeah this is a a pretty fun story and 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 the series continues after that where she's basically on her own in space having Mm -hmm. space adventures which is which is pretty cool, and it's I'm hopeful that the movie could kind of do something along those lines, where she is a space Avenger, uh, and then every so many years gets called back to Earth to help out. Sure, yeah, yeah, because she's always kind of defined by, you know, if 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 you're talking about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity of uh, DC being Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, the Trinity of of Marvel would probably be Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. So she's always had to even in the Bendis run, define herself uh, separately from them. That's a big uh, kind of engine for storytelling. For her character, how do I define myself amongst these other, these 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 gods, even yeah. though she's arguably more powerful than them? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, by removing her from 
having to sort of share a panel with them all the time, you know, she, she, to kind of gives her the opportunity to sort of, yeah, to define herself not define herself, uh, compared to these, you know, these other characters. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was great. The artwork was really, really, again, um, different, uh, not your standard, like, uh, you know, uh, muscles and whatnot comic book and uh, kind of like um miss marvel it had a kind of a lighter tone to it but one that worked really well um i think marvel in general has kind of leaned more towards this type of artwork in the past decade where you're getting a little more of that kind of uh, for lack of a better term kind of that indie style art that's kind of seeped into a lot of their artwork and i love it uh i think it's um there's more character to it than trying to make everyone look like, you know, the stuff that so greatly defined the nineties, uh, superhero comics, fewer pecs and pockets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, cool. Well, I don't really have any recommendations from here cause this was sort of a, uh, a spur of the moment exploration of some Marvel stuff. I sure. missed out on. Um, um, I'm going to, frame the question to you like this if i were to pick two of these series to continue with which would you recommend based on how i've talked about them uh, i mean obviously you know i mean vision is done that's that's it 12 issues yeah uh so that's that's out of the the running i mean the clear winner is ms marvel i mm-hmm. just think it's because like you already started you're at the ground floor that's the very beginning of a character and 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 it really it, it's really fun. She, the series continues to be great. Uh, and even if you just read through the end of G. Willow Wilson's run on the series, I think that's that would be pretty uh, satisfying in a lot of ways. Nice. I I think the Ms. Mar- the Captain Marvel run um, is good. I think it's inconsistent. And I I read beyond Kelly Sue DeConnick's run and into the modern stuff and. And it's not as good as her stuff. Um, and uh, basically, Captain Marvel starts, uh, recruits Alpha Flight, and they, they're sort of like these space cops, and they have a space station that kind of orbits Earth. And But Captain Marvel uh, featured heavily in Civil War II, and the less said about that, the better. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I could fully embrace the, the Captain Marvel run, um, but I mean, if you just read the Kelly Seuss DeConnick stuff, I don't, I think that's pretty good. Uh, I do think the Thor run is pretty great. Uh, even if you went back and read the, the God Butcher storyline, which I think is pretty great, uh, and stuck with it, I think you'd find it rewarding, uh, overall. I would, uh, if you really liked Vision, Tom King after that went to DC and he did this great, uh, run on, uh, Mr. Miracle. Uh, it's, it's this uh, another 12 issue uh, miniseries, which I think he does a great job of taking some pretty dense continuity and making it accessible for a new reader um, because it has so much to do with the new gods and all fourth world stuff, which is just so, so dense. <laughs> uh, but he makes it really accessible and really makes it about the story about how to simplify it, uh, how God and the devil uh, made a truce and they, they exchanged children. Uh, 
and Mr. Miracle is essentially God's son who grew up with the devil and was tortured for his whole life and subsequently became this master escape artist and he escapes everything. Uh, and uh, his life is defined by escape and escaping death and, 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 and being a God. So how does someone that escaped death, how do they deal with depression? Oh, it's a heavy, wow. it, it's a heavy, heavy book. Um, but it's, it's pretty terrific. Um, uh, uh, I'm excited to read his run on Batman. I hear there is some great stuff in there. Cool. Um, but I'm waiting for, uh, again, with digital the, the stuff. The collected versions and stuff. Yeah. I'm waiting for it to all get caught up so I can, I can read it all. Because there's like 80-something issues. He, oh, wow. He wrote, it, he wrote it for quite a few years. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and, and fortunately for you, being my friend... I own all of those Captain uh, Ms. Marvel books, and I own the Mr. Miracle, so you're you're welcome to read them, uh, Great. borrow them at any time. Awesome, <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Um, yeah, well, thanks for uh, thanks for indulging my sort of like short notice request to talk about five different collections of comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like uh, I'm always reading uh, comics. Um, uh, typically, my I, I I read at least one issue a day if I can, mm-hmm. um, uh, if not a little more. Uh, but with the the, you know, since being out of work, I've been reading a lot, lot more. Sure. So the only thing that was tricky about talking about th- these particular runs was keeping in track with everything else that I'm currently reading, <laughs> uh, which is a lot. Um, but uh, but I love I love dipping into it and. You know, the thing is, like, the movies are so, so popular, and the comics are not nearly as popular, but the comics are, are, are better. They are just better. They're, Mm -hmm. they're, there's so much more inventiveness and creativity and, and thought and a lot of love for, for these characters. Um, And, like, not everything's great, but there is great stuff in there. So, cool. I'm glad that you enjoyed, uh, what you've read though yeah it was a blast and it's been a a, a welcome distraction when i've got again just a, a little bit of downtime when uh the boys are napping or um or or whatnot so uh yeah it was cool um well thanks man and i don't know what we're going to talk about next or if i will be on the next one but uh <laughs> i'm sure you will be talking to our listeners soon yeah we're talking about something yeah i know i've got I, I, i'm gonna do i'm doing an episode on dungeons and dragons Oh, nice. Uh, with uh, JP and Steve from You Can Do It, Do It. Perfect. Uh, we've been playing every Wednesday for the past few months, uh, and it's their, their first time, so that what better reason to than to, to record an episode and talk about their experience. Uh, and I'm actually going to do an episode on eSports, um, which is, uh, you know, electric gaming yeah yeah uh um uh, with my brother and another one of his co-hosts from his podcast uh game sharks that's great because uh esports is a big blind spot for me and it's something i've been probably a little dismissive of in the mm-hmm. past so jeff gave me a list of things to watch and and that should be interesting so yeah cool man yeah, excited all right well i'm excited to listen if i can't join in <laughs> awesome it's all great right. talking you too later Thanks for listening to What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And thanks, as always, to the What's Your Writers Club in downtown Providence for hosting us. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at What's Your Club, and you can get more information about what they do on their website at whatsyourclub.org.